Welcome back to You Ask For It. If this is your first time with us, it is a podcast in which Pastor Steve and myself um, either answer questions that you have about faith or the Bible, but sometimes we do series. And for the last little bit, we've been walking through a series on the Apostles' Creed because this was one of the first statements of faith that statements of faith that the Christians had that they could all rally around. Now we're coming to near the end of the creed, and we're at a phrase today, which is this: that He will judge the living and the dead. Let me begin by this way of introduction. Before the Soviet Union fell, Sammy Tippett um, did a lot of ministry in Romania, and he ministered to the underground church in Romania there. While he was doing that, he built some great relationships with some of the pastors and some of the leaders um, of those churches. And he said that one day he was having a conversation with one of the Romanian pastors, and this is what that leader said. He said, I've heard that you Americans preach many times, and you never mention hell. Do you believe in hell? Which Sammy responded, yes, I believe in hell, but I, you know, I came here to, to preach the good news is what I wanted, to, I wanted to give you. And this is what the Romanian pastor's response was. He says, we could not survive communism if we did not believe in hell. He said, if there were no hell, we would not have paid the price that we paid to be a Christian. The fact that God will judge the cruel persecutors gives us comfort as well during this time that we are here. Mm. That, I mean, that's a powerful statement to think and, and about. And it matches scripture. Absolutely. For instance, uh, you know, there's this sense of justice, as we'll talk about, that is present inside of all of us that God has put there. And Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, let me read to you what he says in chapter 1. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you are, which you also are suffering, since it is just for God, it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the, uh, from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. And on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. You, you could see almost a balance when it talks about he's coming for two purposes. Yes, he's coming so that we can glorify him. We long to see the Savior who died for us, to tell him that we love him. But also it says he's coming to take vengeance on those who rebelled against him. And he talks about eternal separation, eternal destruction. And so uh, the thing we've got to recognize is that God is both merciful and holy. And we tend to swing a pendulum to one or the other. But we've got to recognize that both are true. Today, it's more fashionable to just talk about the mercy of God and the love of God. But even if you've got an atheist who says, I don't believe in hell... I think you could about prove the existence of hell simply from that sense of justice. For instance, let's say you've got an evolutionary atheist. An evolutionist says this is all just a part of us moving up to become higher animals. There's no God. There's no standards. But if somebody does them wrong, they'll go, that's not right. They'll be the first to complain. And how in the world can an evolutionary atheist say that's not right when it's the survival of the fittest is all that matters in evolution. And, and the reason is because God's put that sense of justice. When we look out at this world, we see that in the 70 to 80 years that we have here, justice is not done. 
And yet we know in our hearts that justice is called for. Our heart cries out for justice. That means that God must not have an 80-year deadline to get justice done. There has to be eternity for justice to be done. Now we're going to point to, from the scriptures, um, that there is going to be a future judgment. But what the Bible does to indicate the future judgment oftentimes is it will look back at past judgments, the way in which God has judged. For instance, 2 Peter chapter 2 Says, um, Peter says, For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood on the world of, of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making the, them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteousness lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral. For as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Well, those are two great examples of judgment, aren't they? Absolutely. We see that there. And we see also in the New Testament where God in, in, inflicts judgment on those who go, who go against him. Um, and this is before what is the last judgment to come. For instance, Herod Agrippa. If you've read the book of Acts, what you see in Acts chapter 12 is Herod Agrippa falls dead after allowing people to call him God. Another example is, is um, Ananias and Sapphira who also fall dead after lying to the Holy Spirit about what they had given to help the poor. One preacher said this. He says, it's called the fear of God because he kills people. Right? <laughs> I mean, it is like this is a real thing. But it's what we've said too in this, that just because God can do that, it doesn't mean that he does that all the time. And that's something Probably to just enough judgments to let us know a final judgment will come. Absolutely, absolutely. For instance, um, Robert Ingersoll, I believe we've talked to, to you guys about him before, but during a, during a lecture he would give against Christianity um, and he would use this to defend atheism. What he would do is dramatically take off his watch and he would say, I will prove that God doesn't exist he says, if God doesn't strike me dead in 60 seconds, then that means he is not real. So he'd set the watch down and he would count down from 60 all the way down. And then once it would hit zero, he would say, see, there's no way God exists. Well, one day there was a Christian in one of his classes and that Christian stood up and he said this. He said, how dare you think that you can exhaust the patience of God in 30 seconds? Uh, you know, or I'm sorry, I said 60 at first, but in 30 seconds, uh, it's still the same thing. Like just because he can doesn't mean that's what he's always going to do. Yeah. You, you know, um, I've tried to think about why it is that God doesn't judge immediately. You know, he, he could have done it this way. He could have done it where every time somebody has sex outside of marriage, they get uh, AIDS right then. That might slow that down, hadn't it? Uh, it could be that it, everybody, the first time they took a drink of alcohol, they get a cirrhosis, get cirrhosis of the liver. That might drop cells quicker than Bud Light. You know, and, and so, um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, that, that, that could have, you know, but, but what God has done, because he wants us to do things out of love for him and to walk by faith, he doesn't have an instant judgment. There's, there's oftentimes a delay so that we'll sit here and say, I'm going to do this from my heart. But what's happened is, because we have this lag time, there are a lot of people who are, who are saying, there's not going to be any judgment at all. In fact, one of the biggest, most popular statements of the day, it's almost said as if it's deep wisdom. I, I hear it on TV shows all the time. You got to live for the moment. Have you heard that? 
Don't worry about tomorrow. Live for the moment. Uh, a country singer uh, named Chris Christopherson, I, I actually like a lot of things he wrote. He had a song called Help Me Make It Through the Night where he basically seduces a woman. Mm-hmm. And in that song, he says, I don't care about tomorrow. Help me make it through tonight. So he says, don't even think about tomorrow. How many times has somebody got a disease or gotten pregnant because they didn't think about tomorrow? And so we're living as if there'll be no judgment day. And I think that lack of judgment day uh, is one of the reasons why my age, because we've, we've lived in this, the baby boomers, I checked this out this week, 45% of baby boomers have saved zero toward retirement. That's the ones who are now at the retirement age because didn't worry about tomorrow. There'll be no, now they're going to find out there is a judgment day. <laughs> they're going to find out they're going to face consequences. Well, so um, in college, what, what was the big thing to say was actually YOLO. You only live once. And so they, oh. you know, they would say it that way, but that's how it was said everywhere. It was uh, in college, people were just like YOLO. And that's what they do to kind of live how they wanted to in the moment, not thinking about what it was going to mean the next day when you yeah. woke up. So yeah. uh, that's how it was when we were in college. Okay, so when we, if we get back to the scriptures, what we see is the, the strongest passage about judgment, um, the, the judgment the that is to come for the lost comes from Revelation chapter 20. Let me pick it up in verse 11. It says, then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was given, what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What we see here, and even in Jesus's writings, is that there would be degrees of punishment in hell. It would be bad for all, but that it would be worse for some. For instance, here's what he said in Luke chapter 10. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have been they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But listen, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. Do you see that right there? He says that there's this, this, this tears that will be present in this judgment. More tolerable for one, they'll both be judged. Absolutely. But one will be more tolerable than the other. You also see this when you go back to Revelation 20, when it talks about the two books, uh, in, in verse 12. It says this, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book, another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. So what we see here is you see this kind of a pattern of and, and being worse for some and better for others, but you see this future judgment that's coming. Now the question is then, why is it also then a future judgment? It's because there are still consequences that are happening for those, for, for, for the things that they've committed. For instance, uh, you know, we would argue that Hitler is still racking up guilt for the neo-Nazis who've come behind him. There was somebody that tried to crash the White House last week with a Nazi flag. Absolutely. You know, just so he still is. So you can't judge him yet because his guilt is not. So it's got to be at the end. But the two books, let's say this is the book of life has written everybody that's been saved. And this is the book of our works. 
So I believe what will happen is they'll look and say, is, it, is their name in the book? No, the name's not in the book of life. Well, then let's open the books of the works. And then that person will be punished for every one of their sins because their sins are recorded. So, so you see that there's different degrees of what a person will experience in punishment in hell based on their deeds. The issue of salvation is, are you in the book of life? The issue of the degree of judgment will be the books. Now, there's a similarity in the judgment that we Christians will face. We, we call it the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, We make it our aim to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then he adds right after that, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. Now, Christians have something to fear about the judgment. Now, let me explain it. The word judgment seat is the word B-E-M-A, Bema. And in that particular day and time, they would have, for instance, this was written to the city of Corinth. It had, uh, every few years, it has the Isthmian Games. Isthmus is the, where, the, where the Corinth was. It was kind of a mini uh, Olympic Games. And so what they would do at the end is they would bring the winner before the judgment seat, and he would get his laurel crown And that would indicate that he is the one that's won. So the purpose of the judgment seat was to give out the rewards, to give out the crowns. And so what we Christians, we won't be judged for our sins because they're forgiven and forgotten. What we'll be judged for is for our rewards. And and to show that that our judgment is not about sin but about reward. In 1 Corinthians 4 it says this, Don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes. He'll bring both to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart. Why? So that the praise will come to each one from God. Our judgment is not so that we'll be punished for our sins because Jesus was punished for our sins. The whole purpose of our judgment is so that we'll hear, well done for that which we did for Christ. So here's here's what happens. Hell will be bad for everyone, worse for some. Heaven will be good for anyone who goes there, but it'll be better for some. Did y'all get that? Heaven will be good for everyone who gets there, but it'll be better for some. And and Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the fact that, that our lives basically after salvation are like a foundation is laid, this Jesus, and on top of it you're putting wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones, and then our life will be judged by fire. What happens is the Wood is just burned up, and only that which is precious is left. And upon that, we'll be rewarded. It said, if anyone's work that he built survives, he will receive a reward. So we ought to be longing for that reward. I'm not afraid of the punishment for sins, because Jesus has paid for my sins, but I ought to long for eternal reward. Um, there were two farmers, and they had farms right next to each other. One was a committed Christian who was living by biblical principles, and so, now, if you're a farmer, you got to do some work on Sunday. I mean, there are animals to be fed and cows to be milked or it'll be an utter disaster. And, and so you've got, to, you've got to do that kind of thing. But, but what he did was he said he's not going to work his crops. He's going, to, he's going to do just the minimum on Sunday so he can be at church. And so the lost neighbor said, you're going to lose so much money in September? Because you've got to work the whole summer. You cannot take Sunday off or you'll lose a lot of money. Well, September came and you know what? The lost man made a lot more money than the saved man. And he taunted him, see what you're following the Lord did. Law cost you this money. And, and I love his response. He said, God doesn't settle all his debts in September. 
And I think what we've got to recognize is we've got to realize that I'm longing for not what I get here, but for heaven. I'm going to go up a little bit farther because we don't want to take too much more time. Uh, but when we talk about the Christian's judgment, Jesus said, you need to put your reward in heaven, not here. Recently, we had a, a man who was once a very popular Baptist preacher. He's been disgraced the last couple of years because of a sexual sin in his life. But this last week or so, somebody did an expose of all the ways that he had his hand in making money. And, and those of us who knew something of him knew that he had houses everywhere, lots of, I mean, but he basically, it looks like he has spent his life as a pastor building his bank account. And of course, it's all falling apart now because a sexual sin came to light and nobody's wanting him. And I thought, my soul, wouldn't it have been better to have your treasure in heaven than here? I hope he enjoyed those condos. <laughs> Because he, he, that's not going to be a part of, of his eternal reward. Well, let's go on and look at these other couple of things here, Justin. I'll let you get us through here quickly. Well, yeah. Let me just, uh, do you want me to try to, you want me to hit this point? A little okay. bit. Of I'll that. hit it really quick, okay? okay? Of course, this is a big can of worms that we could walk through a lot. But the question that we often hear asked is this, when will God judge America? If we're talking about future judgment, when will God judge America? You've heard us say this before, and that is this, that we believe that he already is judging America in some ways by just letting us have our sins, Letting us have what it is that we have asked for without even maybe sometimes realizing it. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19 says, Your own evil will discipline you. Your own apostasies will reprimand you. Recognize how evil and bitter it is for you to abandon the Lord your God and to have no fear of me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Or how about this? Um, Galatians chapter 6. Paul says, Don't, don't be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Part of the judgment is this, that we are in some ways now just reaping what it is that we have sowed for a long time. Well, for instance, you can't drive around this area without seeing homeless begging on the street corners, but most of them are homeless because of drugs. And so, and what are we doing right now? We're legalizing drugs. You know, it's, it's, it's like we don't have sins. We, we have a crisis because we're not, our population has declined. Our birth rate is now less than 1.5 in America. And so you've got a lot of folks who are hitting retirement and very few people entering the market. And, and we're sitting and saying, so folks, we're about to see an economic collapse that has come because we wanted our sin. And God said, your punishment for wanting your sin is you get to have it. So then here's where this comes home to us then is how should this affect the way that we live? Or how, how you know, how should that, what should this mean for us knowing that judgment is real? First of all, let me just say this, that it ought to give us a burden for the lost. Our hearts should break mm. when we understand those. If we know that judgment is real, then that should affect the way in which we live. I was reading ahead to where we're going, where I'm going in the Old Testament next week. And one of the commentators, when speaking about that passage, said this. He said, people are going to turn away and they are going to walk away. But may it be that when they walk away, they walk through our tears that have been, been cried for them. 
Yes. I mean, we should be, feel a burden for loss. We should feel the burden for our family members who are lost because we know that the judgment is real. We see Jesus himself weep over Jerusalem mm-hmm. when he's standing there, knowing what is about to take place and knowing all those that are far from him. So first of all, what should we do? We should have a burden for the loss. Finally, what would you say? And then the main thing for us Christians is live for eternity. He is no fool to lose what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said, put your treasure in heaven, not here. And we ought to be eternally minded, not wrapped up in this world. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, for another podcast. I know this is not an easy one that we looked at today, but it's, it's scriptures. And so you can't walk away from it. Um, if you have any questions about this, um, feel free to contact us on uh, the podcast page and then stay with us because we'll be back next week as we will walk through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I believe in the Holy be. Spirit. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you.